Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson talking OU football like we do always. Grant, it's a Wednesday, early Wednesday evening. I uh, am trying my best to, to watch some Baylor tape. That's what I've spent most of my afternoon doing. I got through the entire West Virginia game, and you know we, we got a hard start time for the podcast, and I didn't get quite through the Baylor versus Texas Tech game from last week. So I don't know, maybe as the show goes on, maybe on mute, I'll kind of look at it whenever you're talking because I'll just be, uh, you know, you're not going to say anything interesting. So I'll just kind of watch the show or watch the game and then figure out what else to say after that to keep our listeners engaged. Um, but uh, anyways, um, I'm not sure why I took a shot at you like that right off the bat. That was kind of me. You're feeling confident so today, clearly. Uh, no, nah, it, it, I'm, I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually projecting a bit because I uh, have not watched the entirety of the Texas Tech game, so I, you know, if I miss something in it, that's my fault. So, so in a way, it's uh, I, I'm trying to cover up for my my lack of film watching leading into this podcast. So, I gotta uh, be that's honest, that's where we are. I, full transparency. Yeah, I, I watched that game live. I don't know how much you can take from that game. Texas Tech didn't show up. They played like garbage. Really? Yeah. I mean, through the first quarter and a half, it's it's kind of even, but Tech's offense looks super out of sync. I don't know. Uh, we could talk a little bit about Baylor and OU coming up, obviously, on the show. But let's start out with just any sort of news and notes, anything that's caught your eye since our last episode. Brent Venables' press conference, Jeff Levy, and, and Ted Roof's press conference. I was there at, at all of it. And I suppose since I was there, I'll lead it off. The most interesting thing, I guess, honestly, is just kind of like an injury update. Uh, I mean, Billy Bowman is a guy that we've wanted to see come back and play and, and be healthy. And I went back and rewatched the Iowa State game, and Billy Bowman ended up playing about half of the snaps in the game, a little bit more actually, which I was surprised upon rewatch. I didn't think he played that much, and it was mostly in the you know second quarter and then the second half he played. He came in kind of in the third quarter, late third quarter, and played the rest of the game. So you know in crunch time, Billy Bowman was out there for every single snap, and so it kind of told me that. All right, like he looked fine. You know, there there was maybe one one or two plays that kind of went towards him. He had a couple of tackles. There was one pass play that went kind of in in, in his vicinity. Overall, though, uh, he played he played fine. Don't think he suffered any sort of setback. Didn't hear anything about that at all as far as uh, him you know re-injuring himself. So if you ask me, Grant, I kind of have the feeling that going into this Baylor game, Billy Bowman, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts. And I wouldn't be surprised if Billy Bowman plays a large, large, large portion of the snaps, which obviously is a very good thing. Yeah, no, obviously I agree. This is, I mean, you're talking about when he's healthy, the best defensive player on this team, I think is kind of the, what was sort of the takeaway and the consensus amongst a lot of people here. So yeah, obviously you want that. And especially it's been in, a, in you know, a position of need as well, where OU is not particularly deep, where they've had some issues in the past. I mean, gosh, in the past, they've had some issues at that position for a decade at least. Um, so yeah, that's always good. I, I don't really think he looked particularly healthy or, you know, against Iowa state or at the very least he didn't look a hundred percent. So I don't know. I, I, I hope he just kind of takes this week to get, to get healthier. Hopefully he's, he's much more well-rounded against Baylor, but yeah, I'd buy that, that he, that he's going to start and play a lot more. Um, I think it's kind of odd that he ended up playing more than half the snaps against Iowa state, but he didn't start the game. In fact, I don't even think he played at all in the first quarter. Um, and it's weird. I, I, I was sort of recklessly speculating with you over text. I was like, I wonder if he got suspended for the first quarter or something like that. Cause what's the logic of, 
Like, what's the logic of not playing him in the first quarter and then him playing a vast majority of the snaps afterwards? So, um, well, well, I would say is is you know you give these other guys that have been playing a lot of snaps, obviously previously a shot, and Oklahoma's defense was playing well. I mean, in the secondary, they were playing pretty well, so there wasn't like an egregious mistake by any sort of safety to think, okay, you're out of here. Let's put Billy in. I I think maybe. It was a situation where they were like going to let the game kind of get into it, the flow of the game, and then they kind of moved him in there early on second quarter. And if he did play in the first quarter, it would only have been for a, a couple of snaps because uh, I believe he played, I counted 43 snaps, I think, and, and I was at Brent Venables' press conference. And one of the, one of the OU, other OU beat media people, Eli Letterman, uh, mentioned uh, he counted 44 snaps for Billy Bowman. So either my count is one off or I missed a, a snap from the first Get your quarter. S either together, way. man. Get it together. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you. That's totally unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, from from that, the start of the show, throwing you under the bus for could've no reason. Could have been the other guy. You could have been right. Other guy could have been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, either, I, you know, it was good, though, that clearly it's in that same vicinity. Uh, there was about 83 or so snaps in the game. So it was, it was right at 50%, a little bit more than 50%. And I think it's a great sign that down the stretch, he was playing every single snap. Again, that told me that they're like, okay, we're comfortable with him in here. He's into the flow of the game. He's doing his job. A big part of his job looked to be when I was watching was to make calls in the secondary, pre-snap calls, get guys lined up. And you know how often in the past have we wondered, man, why is communication so difficult? Or, 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 or is communication the reason why there's mistakes in the secondary? Uh, heck, I mean, look back to TCU – when he went out, I you know there were some mistakes in the secondary. Maybe that was communication wise. Maybe if he was, oh, out they totally there, fell it, apart they, they when he left that game. So I'm yeah, I don't know. Like, is it just is it just a coincidence or is there something to it? I mean, uh, I, think, I think there's something to it. He's the best player on their defense. That it doesn't. I mean, and we we should qualify that. You know, obviously by saying they got freaking shredded by Kansas State when he was perfectly healthy the week before that. So. You know, there's there's obviously kind of a an in between here that that we're not getting to, but I don't know. I think it's kind of like I, I think you're probably right that that's that's what was going on in terms of you know why he didn't maybe play in the first quarter. But I think if you think about that a little more, that doesn't make a lick of sense. Why would you Why would you be like okay, we have <laughs> we have our best defensive player who plays kind of this hybrid safety nickelback kind of role. We think he's the best player on our defense. He's healthy to play. He's been cleared. We're planning on playing him after the first quarter, but we're going to wait until it's until the defense shows some cracks or something like that. I don't know if that was even it or if it was just we're going to wait until the second quarter. We're going to wait until the game gets going, flow of the game. I, I don't think it's that weird. I, I mean, he was in a big old brace. They weren't sure if he was going to be able to play until about Thursday. That's what Brent Venables said. And Venables th- thought, you know, he, he didn't think that big old brace on his leg really hindered him uh and so i at i thought physically it i thought it very at least clearly physically did. I, I think he looked a little slower but i don't know maybe it was an optical illusion i mean there wasn't really any situations where he needed to to use like breakneck speed to make a play i feel like you know it was his second series he made a couple of tackles he came up and looked fine the rest of the game he was kind of relegated to being in coverage or the play was going totally away from him so again, I don't know if that was a coincidence or not. Maybe I I don't know. But uh, of course, none of so it all. I want to see him none get of more it matters. Snaps. I just want to be healthy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's a guy that obviously, uh, again, 
I think I downplayed his importance. I, I think he's super important. I wasn't quite sure, you know, as sure as you were earlier in the year. But as time has gone on and he's missed time, I think it's, it's definitely legitimate to go all the way back to August when Brent Venables told us that, you know, if he had to pick the you know, player on defense I was having the best camp or playing the best on defense, it was Billy Bowman. I think it all kind of makes sense now. Or I mean, I know yeah, it made he sense was, to you pretty early on, but it, it makes even more sense to me now. Yeah, he was telling everybody that Billy Bowman's our best player. That's I mean, that's <laughs> that's how you answer that question. Which is I mean, and that was like that made me really excited when I heard that at the time. And and obviously in the first the first month of the season, we saw it with our own eyes. You know, maybe I, I thought I think you were different. I think I think him his effectiveness is much more visible on TV probably than it is because you were there like actually at the stadium in, in all of those games so because you know like when you see it on the tv broadcast you can see how much he's moving around pre-snap it's it's very noticeable like just the way his mannerisms the way that he moves and like I, I don't think that's as that's not as recognizable probably on the field through a camera like when you're watching it so um but yeah I, you know at this point in time though it's like obviously excited to have Bowman back excited that he got through you know played playing a majority of the snaps in the game and, and and coming out healthy but also I mean it's it's perfectly timed because you got Deshaun White now who I think uh removing Billy Bowman from the equation is the person who is playing the best on the defense right now and that's just good timing because Deshaun White is playing the best football of his career right now I don't even think that's a controversial statement at all no no not at all he's been he's been really really good and I think that's that opinion's been shared by everybody that watches OU football that's followed it. Um, I, I was talking to Dusty the other night, Dusty Dvorak, and he, he echoed the same thing. He's like, man, this guy's flying around. Looks really, really good. And uh, speaking of Dusty, I, I have a, a story to tell you here coming up on the show, a little bit of a tease that's going to make you, make you happy. It's going to make you feel smart. So I'll tease that. Uh, let's switch over from the defense, though, to the offense. More injury news. Javante Barnes didn't play against Iowa State. Hamstring injury. Preventable said if he had to make a call on Tuesday, he said that he'll probably be a game-time decision. Uh, but it was a minor pull. So he said, you know, you never know how hamstrings are going to, you know, how hamstrings are going to go. You know, are, are they going to heal pretty quick? Or, you know, is get, getting warm-ups? And, heck, are they going to tighten up again? And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. If anybody's ever had a hamstring issue, you know, you and I, you know, play baseball forever. And I feel like hamstring, I mean, I, I pulled my hamstring all the time playing baseball. And, you know, I kind of would just play through it because, you know, baseball is so much different than football. Like, you, you know, very rarely are you, are you running full speed. Obviously, when you're running the bases and stuff, you are. But you can kind of get by in baseball without, you know, without a fully functional hamstring, depending on what position you play. It would kind of heal up relatively quickly. Uh, football, obviously, you, you can't you go out there and play as a running back if your hamstring is acting up on you. So, you know, we'll see if Javante Barnes is able to play, Grant. I, I, you know, if he's, able, or if he's not able to play, though, then you're, and you're back to Eric Gray and Marcus Major. Yeah, you kind of hope that, you know, Marcus Major knocked some rust off last week and he can play a lot better against Baylor. But, I mean, that's another really good run defense Oklahoma's going to face. Man, if, if Barnes is out again, it's, it's kind of like hopefully Eric Gray's out there and he's healthy and he's good to go because you know, other than that, and he was you gimpy. just shrug your shoulders. He was gimpy, and I know, I mean, the, the word is that Marcus Major has been gimpy too. So, yeah, no, that's not good. And, and, I, and I'm with you. I, I, I used to pull my hamstring a lot too playing baseball. And it's like it's more, it's more it just feels weird and it feels odd than it, it is just like obscenely painful. And I'm sure it's a lot different. You know, when you're a when you're a high functioning, you know, high level football player, I'm sure your your hamstring probably works a lot differently than mine used to. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think obviously the the depth at running back is a pretty big concern right now. Um, one because you got Eric Gray, who has been, I think you know, outside of Dylan Gabriel, I, I think has been the most valuable player on this offense this season. Um, and then after that, it's just been kind of. I, I think just go look at the the numbers. Go look at the stats. Javante Barnes has has overtaken Marcus Major for the number two running back on this team. That's just in terms of carries, in terms of people being on the field. That's just the case, and and I don't. Marcus Major, I think at this point in time, is is what he is. He's just a depth piece, and if he has to play any sort of like major minutes in this game on Saturday, OU is going to be kind of in a world of hurt in the running game. I I think that's pretty clear at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we were asking just into the ether, either last episode or the episode before, about the running back situation, and we were like, hey, like what's going on with Bentavious Thompson, the UCF transfer who came over I think after the spring you know in the summertime and he's a player who in I want to say 2019 which I think you know that Jeff Lebby I believe was Jeff Lebby there in 2019 still I think he was with Dylan Gabriel Thompson had a really good season he had like 600 yards rushing Um, he was like one of two or three guys that had a lot of carries and so it kind of made sense when you saw those numbers like oh this guy's transferring over to OU because he's familiar with Lebby. He's familiar with Dylan Gabriel. All right, there's even more depth there, and there's been nothing, nothing about him. Nobody's talked about him. And so, honestly, on, uh, on Monday, I actually asked Jeff Lebby about the running back depth grant. I, you know, I said, hey, you know, you know Javante didn't play uh, on Saturday. Hopefully, you guys, you know, I know you guys are hopeful to get him back. You know, but, you know, aside from Javante, Eric and Marcus Major, you know, with Tawi and with Gavin Sachuk and even, you know, Bentavious Thompson, you know, we haven't talked much about it. I, I mentioned his name. I mentioned all three of those guys' names, the three kind of third, fourth, fifth string guys, whatever you want to call them, sixth string guys. I mentioned all their names and, you know, Levy gave me a canned answer of uh, he mentioned Gavin. He mentioned Tawi Walker about how, you know, you're getting reps, you know, canned answer. He didn't acknowledge at all that I said Bentavious Thompson. <laughs> so uh, I think that was a, that was a, you know, the non-answer was enough for me. This dude is not a factor at all. I don't know what's going on. Should I have, you know, should I have said, oh, but what, uh, just real quick, uh, you know, Bentavious Thompson, where is he? I didn't do that because I was like, you know what? Uh, him not even mentioning the name kind of was the answer of that, I, you know, enough for me. It's like, well, nope, he's not even part of the conversation or even in the, I don't even know if he's in the running back room. Who knows? So uh, I think that answers our question. So aside from the top three guys, we, we haven't really seen Sachuk at all. We haven't seen Tawi Walker really at all. Yeah, that depth, it's basically Eric Gray, Javante Barnes when he's healthy. And I know Marcus Major will get touches, but the last few games or whatever, it's kind of like I don't know what we're going to get from Marcus Major. And so far, it hasn't been very good. Yeah, so. yeah. And I, I just – I don't – Bentavious Thompson not being a factor, I, I have I have no clue. I don't know why that's the case, uh, unless he's just the one year that he took off of football. Maybe he just, he just got out of shape and hasn't been able to get back into shape. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, you're right, Lee. 2019, he averaged you know he 20 he ran for 604 yards that season at nearly seven yards a carry, scored eight touchdowns, and then in 2020, the shortened COVID year, he ran for nearly 400 yards at, at over five yards a pop and had five touchdowns. So, um, and this is guy, I mean, the last game that he, he started and played in college, Lee, was November 27th of, against USF of the COVID season, carried it 16 times for 110 yards and two touchdowns. That was the oh. last time he, he prominently had a role in a football game. 
So that's that's interesting. I mean, obviously, I could have pressed more on Bentavious just to kind of get more of like, because that's a good, I mean, when he's played in his career, which it was a long time ago, <laughs> the last time he played, he's been a pretty effective player and a veteran player on this team in a running back position that all of a sudden seems kind of thin, especially with you know an injury to Javante Barnes. And you got a guy like that that's not even in the conversation. It's just, you know, a lot of things can happen behind the scenes that we just don't know about. And there's a, yeah, so, and that's got to be the situation here. We just, there's something happening or something that didn't happen. And like the fact that we haven't even heard his name really at all. It's similar to the Micah Bowen stuff. It's similar where it's just Micah Bowens. It's more kind of a head scratcher because that, you know, that goes over the course of, of two coaching staffs. But, uh, yeah, I don't really understand why he's not a factor other than he's just, he must just not be doing what he's supposed to do. Or he's sure. just, for whatever reason, compared to everyone else who is in that room, he's just not as good. Which, that could be it as well. And it's just, yeah, you kind of, you know, we're conditioned to think that veteran players, especially some players that have, ha- that have stats like that, that have a history of being effect- effective in college, just we wouldn't think that, a true freshman in Gavin Sawcheck, even a true freshman in Javante Barnes, and then a player like Tawi Walker, who, as far as we know, you know, he's like a walk-on. You know, like we wouldn't expect those types of players to just be flat out better <laughs> than a veteran player that's had some. And good, also, he's good, not uh, season. So he's not uh, he's not under scholarship either. But neither is Gavin Freeman, and he's played a ton this year. So he has, yeah. Uh, it's weird. I, I don't know. Uh, the Micah Bowens thing is still way weirder because we've actually seen him in the flesh complete forward passes in a spring game. Which would have came in handy for a quarter and quarter and more than a half in the middle of this season. Would have came in handy a little bit. Uh, just somebody, anybody, just please go out there. Throw a forward pass. Look like you want to be there. All right, so I teased that I talked to Dusty about something. So, you know, I went, you know, I got... I went really hard to the paint and, and, you know, was really hard on Woody Washington last show about a particular play against Iowa State that I, you know, I was sure that, you know, Woody should have made a, a better play. I mean, he made a good play. Don't get me wrong. It was a good play, but I think it should have been a better play. He could have made a, made a pick, at least got a PBU. And so I was in on Sunday night at work and Dusty Dvorak was in like he always is. And I, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him about this play. This guy's going to know, you know, he's going to know a lot more about it than me. And to your credit, Grant, after I explained everything and we watched it, he said, you know what? I don't know your brother, but I think he was right about this one, man. Oh, Dusty so, said that? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I'd said on the podcast, that it looked like he was in a cover three, you know, deep third. And you know, upon rewatch, upon, you know, getting the the um the uh, i guess the the insight from a guy who played at OU who played in the NFL who calls college football games on ESPN knows a lot more about the game than I do getting his insight he said nah it, they're not playing he's not playing a deep third here it looks looks like they're in quarters looks like they're in a quarter coverage and and also he said you know we don't know the call and you know that's something that you say all the time and I try to say it too it's like we don't know the call obviously it's impossible for us to know the call and even Dusty Dvorak he doesn't know the call. And, like, I mean, he knows, he knows Brent Venables. Like, he knows all those guys. And, you know, even he, a lot of the times, like, he'll watch the tape. And, like, you know, I don't know what the call was. You know, we just got to do our best to watch back the film and, you know, use our insight and our experience and kind of get, get an idea of what happened. And so what he thought is that they were in quarters. And as far as he could tell, he said, you know what? I mean, what if he, and in Woody Washington, you know, he had Key Lawrence behind him. 
What if his thought was they're being taught Oklahoma to defensive backs on third, I think it was third and eight or so. He said, as far as we know, they're being taught on plays like that on this particular coverage to keep everything in front of you and rally up to make the tackle. And I thought, okay, interesting. That's, yep, that could have been it. And also he said, man, this is a, he did a really nice job of recognizing the crosser and breaking on the football, even without, you know, finding the ball, finding the quarterback's eyes. So uh, I was wrong about that. Uh, Dusty explained it to me and you were correct to point out that I was being too hard on him. And so I apologize to Woody Washington. I was too hard on him on that play. It was a good play. I thought it could have been better, but you know, again, upon uh, further review, learning more, going through somebody that knows more about it, I believe I, uh, I was wrong. So there you go. I think Woody played a really nice game on Saturday. I thought he played his best game of the season. And, I mean, that's, and that's relative, right? Because he hasn't been very good this year. Is for what we, we hoped he would be, especially considering he's had, he's had so much praise from this coaching staff dating back to December when Brent Venables and the rest of the, the gang got here. He's been one of the leaders on this team, and he still is. Not even just defensively, just in general. And I like his demeanor. Uh, he's, he's, he seems like a pretty modest guy. He's, he's very quiet, it seems to me, whenever you know, we get him in media settings. Um, and you know, he, obviously, he wants to be good. But uh, yeah, he, he probably has not performed as well as, as we had hoped. And I mean, like everybody in the first three or so games, I thought he looked really good in the first three or so games. He wasn't getting challenged a whole lot. And then, you know, the dam kind of broke, you know, in the middle of the year, and everybody kind of looked bad, except for yeah, really I mean, Deshaun he, White. He had a pretty rough game against Kansas State as well. I think that was kind of the first one where we were just like, oh, man, Woody just hasn't been good in this game. Um, and, then, and then, of course, every, the one where, and of course everyone was terrible in the, in, in the subsequent two games after that. Yeah, and I can't remember against TCU. Because I know, that, or I'm sorry, against Kansas State, because TCU was the one where I, you know, he was flat. He had some PI, maybe multiple PIs against... Uh, TCU at least one and I can't remember maybe against K-State he had one as well and that kind of like showed us like man ball in the air point of attack it's like come on you got to be better we got to be better than that guys I'm kind of curious uh, yeah, yeah. and this is I mean this is just kind of going off on a tangent now but I and I and I, I wonder about guys like Jaden Davis too I wonder if Woody's going to come back next year because um, he, he's going to have that extra year he can um, because I, I don't and this is his fourth year in college, so I mean, I, he's he's obviously going to have that decision to to stay or go. He's not going to get drafted, so I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm curious if he's going to be a guy because it's it's kind it's kind of time to start having those conversations again. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if he tries to come back and maybe maybe tries to put two consecutive healthy years together and see if that maybe helps his consistency a little bit. Yeah, I think you know if you look. You look that far ahead right now, I'd probably bet he he does come back because you're right. He's not going to get drafted. He's he's not your prototypical corner size wise. He's only you know, only goes about five eleven. You know, physically, I don't think he's going to wow at a pro day. I don't know. Like, I don't think he's got blazing speed. So yeah, he's going to have to be a guy that comes back probably and improve and display that he can cover and he's just a really good guy in coverage and that's difficult whenever you're one again under six foot and two you know not the fastest guy out there and I mean I think I guess maybe for a player of his you know of, of his abilities he's made the most of it up to this point I suppose 
but I think you make a pretty good point there. I, if I had to bet right now, I'd probably bet that he comes back. Yeah, it's that. It's him, and then you know, I I assume guys like Jaden Davis are probably fifty fifty to come back. Um, the guy I really want to come back is C.J. Colden. Um, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure of what his of his COVID year status is or whatever, but I think he was a 2019 class guy, so I think he should technically still have that COVID year. I I really hope he comes back. Yeah, another player who I wasn't really you know zeroing in on against Iowa State but I I didn't see him out I, you know, I saw him out there a little bit kind of in the second half but still not as much as we'd like to see him felt like I saw and him about not, as much as I did against Kansas which was he maybe played between 10 and 15 snaps yeah it's it's interesting I mean there was you know we didn't see a whole lot of Robert Spears Jennings against Iowa State maybe one series I think I, I think I saw him out there you know we uh for the first time in a while, maybe not all year, but the first time in a while, we saw Gentry Williams, the true freshman corner. Yeah, he was tested. He was tested in that s- the second quarter, how I about, believe. How about throwing Gentry out there and they're 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 just manning him up on Xavier Hutchinson? Yeah, and went back and watched that. I know you texted me during the game. Hey, you know, how did that look? Was that a pass interference? Was that and and it was to me, it was a, a good no call. And I watched it back again. I thought he I thought he covered really well there. He played that very nicely when I went back and rewatched it. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, that was, that was one where the Iowa State fans were really upset about that one. Um, when I, and the, the video board there is really bad. It's really old. So I, I didn't get a great, a great look at it. But yeah, when I was watching it back, to me, it looked like, if anything, he maybe got a little, he got away with a small little grab right at the very end, kind of like around Hutchinson's abdomen. But other than that, it was kind of like perfect, perfect coverage. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, what stood out to me about it is that it was a deep shot. You know, those are always more difficult because you're going to be a little more out of control. But he utilized his speed. He found the football, and he was tracking right there with Hutchinson. I mean, it was almost a situation where Gentry Williams had the same exact right to the football as Hutchinson. And, like, I, yeah, I thought, I thought he played it really well. Good for him. Yeah. And then I guess another, another thing that I noticed, too, during the game, and I, if you were watching it on TV during the game, if you noticed it, but it does look like um, they have kind of shortened up the cornerback rotations, at least. So obviously, Jaden Davis and Woody Washington were out there for a majority of the time. The only other corners I think we saw were C.J. Colden and Gentry Williams. So, okay, so, yeah, Davis and Washington, Gentry Williams and Colden, just those four. I think those are the only corners at? that we saw in the game. And then the safeties that we saw were, were mostly just Broyles, Key, Bowman, and uh, that was basically it. Yeah, with the exception of, again, I, I did see, I think even on this, the same series when Gentry Williams was in the game, I, I could have swore Robert Spears Jennings I saw, might have been on that series as well. I, I did see him out there a handful of times, but not enough to where I was like, he was a prominent contributor on Saturday. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was just kind of interesting just with they've kind of shortened up the rotations a little bit. And especially in a game where Iowa State snapped it like 85 times. I mean, that's, that's a lot of snaps for the defense to, to defend. Oh, and Trey Morrison was getting some. Oh, yes, thank you, well. thank you. Trey Morrison was, yeah. and he was, he's good, he's good. I, I he's, uh, he's kind of exactly like best case scenario what I expected him to be, which he's just like you can tell he has a lot some physical limitations. I know that get that play against TCU drove you insane, where he was, where you know he. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Um, but really, he's. Just I like kind his of, motor. Yeah, I like his motor. It's obvious he's played a lot of college football. 
yeah, I can I can see that as well. So yeah, I'm kind of I got the roster pulled up, and so in my mind, it's like, all right. So what does this mean, though? It seems like maybe the rotations have been tightened up a bit. So I mean, it's like you know we're not seeing any Joshua Eaton. Not that we had seen a whole lot of Eaton, anyways. You know, at corner. Um, outside of that, you know, like safety. I'm going down the list here. Uh, you know, how about how about this? I mean, obviously Damon Harmon. It looks like he's available now to play. I don't know when or if he's going to get back in any game after that injury against TCU a month ago. So, you know, we'll kind of wait and see on that. Here's a guy that we haven't talked about in a while that it seems like, uh, all right, well, either maybe he's banged up, we just don't know about it because he hasn't been playing, or he just he's fallen out of favor. Uh, Justin Harrington. <laughs> he's not playing anymore. Remember him? Who? No, uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah no, that's uh, – I think we can probably uh, – Justin Harrington is is right in there with kind of a lot of the a lot of the mythical figures of OU football. I just think it's I, I'm happy though this year that he was able to kind of he he kind of has his own little personal redemption story, which is nice. So um, it yeah. just it just turns out he's he's he, he he's not the great football player we were all hoping he was he was going to be, and that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, that's fair. And the last person I want to bring up in the secondary that I know going back to the Kansas game which was now, what, I mean, two, three weeks ago. Uh, he was definitely injured and out. I'm not sure the status moving forward if he's still injured, but uh, remember Kanai Walker in the spring? Of course really I do. excited about him? Of course I do. Yeah. So either he's still injured or he's not injured anymore and just hasn't, like, he, he's a player that I know was pretty highly recruited, and Oklahoma was excited to get him, and I was excited too, and we talked to him in the spring, and he was a player that, like, ah, maybe he could be a sneaky guy to – to push for a starting spot at corner, and he just, you know, hasn't hasn't done anything. A true freshman, so. we know at least a true freshman has has overtaken him. But it could be. Gentry. I mean, it's yeah, it's possible that Gentry is out of those guys has been the one who has stayed healthy and has been able to you know continue to improve and all of that. So true. And and but I mean, yeah, it's like it's Kanai still in he, he's still in his second year of being a college player. He was just a freshman last year at Louisville, and uh, when. When three of the top four guys in the cornerback room right now are in years are all in their fourth year of playing college football, I mean that's that's yeah it's, that's it's tough, it's, it's tough that's to break tough. through that. He just you love that guy's size, man. Cannot, he's six two. He's decently thick. Eh, he's I wouldn't never. He's not thick. Hey, a but, guy I mean, that I a guy that that kind of stood out to me when I was watching warmups on Saturday because I was down at not on field level, but I was in it was in row one because it was. 30 minutes before kickoff on it was it was a ghost town there were like was nobody in the stadium but um a guy who who stood out to me is a guy who has like a lot of size is true freshman jamarian burt that guy's huge really that guy's huge huh okay go and file that away so i just i just wanted to and it's it's slightly notable that he's it's a road game at the end of october and he was traveling with the team yeah, that's fair. All right, any other news, notes, things you want to get off your chest before we move on to talking about the game OU and Baylor? Not really. I've kind of kind of been enjoying sort of the the more low key last couple of weeks, you know, when when compared to the you know, the 3 week stretch that all of us kind of want to forget about. Fair enough. All right, so OU is back home against Baylor Sooners as we record here around 5.30 on Wednesday, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite against a, a Bears team 
that you told me before the show started, Grant, you think might be the second best team in the, all of the Big 12. Yeah, I think it, just what they've put, their best. Like when, like when they put everything all together, yeah, I mean, they're, they, they throw a lot of stuff at you that's pretty challenging, I think. Yeah, I, again, I, I haven't watched Baylor a whole lot. I love their offense against West Virginia. You know, granted, the Mountaineers' defense isn't very good. And I hadn't gotten to the point in the Texas Tech game where they were scoring all their points. So I, I don't know. I mean, looking at the stats, it looked like the offense wasn't as effective against Texas Tech just based on Blake Shapin. But Blake Shapin is a player that I really didn't want to like. But the more I watch him, the more I begrudgingly think, man, I kind of like this guy. He, I like his mechanics. He looks smooth. The ball just jumps out of his hand. He's got a great arm, and I guess he's a baseball guy. He was like, he's a great prospect in baseball, so I was like, oh, well, there you go. Uh, makes sense. He's a shortstop, so you know it would make sense that he's got a great arm as a quarterback. I think he's pretty darn. You know, he's 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 not like a, a super mobile guy, but he's mobile enough. He's got pretty decent pocket presence, and I just think he has really good mechanics. He's able to step up. He moves the pocket pretty well, and he runs this. Jeff Grimes' offense pretty pretty good, but you were telling me I know you've watched a lot more Baylor than me. He's a guy that can be very up and down though, and I think maybe I've seen him more when he's been up, and I haven't seen him as much whenever he's kind of had bad down games. It's really been it's really mostly just been kind of this season for Shapen because every time he played last, he was really good last year in every game essentially. Um, but I mean, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot last year. They asked him to probably do a little bit more this year. But yeah, it's well, uh, this- last year I thought he didn't. He didn't play really at all last year until the end, right? Yeah, they he he replaced Gary Bohannon on the road at Kansas State last year, and they and then he, he took every oh, okay. snap the remainder of the season. And he was good; he was really efficient, didn't make any mistakes. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I feel like kind of the story of Baylor's season so far this year has essentially been good shaping and bad shaping. Um, when he's good, they can they can beat pretty much anybody in the country outside of the top three or four teams, and when he's bad, they can they can lose to West Virginia. And BYU. And it was mistakes. It was it was mistakes by Baylor, by Shapin, and special teams problems against West Virginia that cost them. Other than that, they win that football game on the road. I mean, that it was crazy. I, I was watching that game, and I know that West Virginia won, and Baylor was playing really well, and they were you know they were up ten with the football, moving the ball really well, and then all of a sudden, Shapin fumbles, and West Virginia takes it back for six. And I, and I was like, oh, oh, so so this is what happened in this game, huh? Okay. <laughs> it's like one of those plays. I mean, it was just like totally like out of nowhere. Uh, and so it just turnovers. Uh, I mean, West Virginia had a had a blocked PAT return for, for two points in the game. So they just took advantage of some Baylor mistakes. And I know Baylor had some problems on special teams against Oklahoma State, gave up a long kickoff return touchdown, I think, to begin the second half. And the special teams against West Virginia wasn't very good. So I don't know if that was just like a two, like a short two-game sample size where, where it was bad or if the Bears can be had on special teams at, at times. Which hey, Oklahoma, now, that, uh, yeah. now that OU is a special teams powerhouse, I don't know, maybe I mean, a little Oklahoma bit of a... actually tries. Bit of an, bit of an opening there. Teams. Hey, Lee, I was thinking about this. I, was, I went on a little bit of a walk around my neighborhood about an hour before we, we hopped on to record here to kind of collect my thoughts a little bit. And I just kind of want to throw out there... Um, and we talked about this this past weekend as well, how, how essentially OU beat, beat Iowa State with defense and special teams. And really, how long has it been since we can say that OU won a game kind of with those two things working in tandem to win the game? And I, it got me thinking, Lee, 
it's it's a really good sign that in year one of Brent Venables, OU's special teams are kind of completely turned around, almost like to the point now where they're it's it's winning them games. And I think that's a really, especially for a first year head coach, I think it's a really good sign moving forward. Because I, I, it's and this is this is anecdotal, and so I, if anyone's listening to this and has like data or anything, let me know. It just kind of feels to me that when a new coach comes into a program and it's not working, a lot of the times special teams are just a total disaster. Because what are special teams about, Lee? They're about details, details and doing the dirty work that no one else wants to do. So here's a a guy that I don't think we've ever brought up on this podcast, and I know other podcasts and other people have talked about him and brought him up, and that's Jay Nunez. And he's listed as a senior special teams analyst at OU. And I know he's a big part of it, obviously, about them uh, improving. And I want to say DeMarco Murray is also involved in special teams as well. I know that if memory serves, Venables has brought up DeMarco Murray when it comes to special teams here and there. And it might not just be DeMarco. There might be others involved. I want to say Joe John Finley might be involved, too. It might be like a, a whole collaborative, collaborative thing. Uh, I, I could be talking out of school here. I, I'm just... For some reason, in my brain, I feel like I've, I've heard those names mentioned when discussing special teams. But Jay Nunez, for sure, is a guy that has certainly helped out. And so I wanted to make sure I, I, you know, I mentioned those guys' names because, yeah, along with Brent Venables, obviously, because he's the head coach, they certainly are emphasizing it. I don't know if – did we talk about this one time? I don't know if there ever was a fake anything in the five years of Lincoln Riley as a head coach, a fake field goal or a fake punt. I don't recall it ever happening. I don't either. I'm, you know, I'm sure we could dig something up. It would, it'd be surprising to me if there was over, you know, nearly 70 games and there wasn't a single one, but you know, we'd have to go back. But I, I mean, I, I want to go back to it because we, we didn't really spend a whole lot of time on that fake field goal, but it just, it gives me a lot of confidence that that thing was executed perfectly, just utterly perfectly. And I, you know, I, I think a lot yeah, of that has to do with, they got some, they got, they clearly have some veterans in the special teams room that have been there for a long time. Uh, Michael Turk might, he might be the best punter in college football. He's also just, if, if you've watched any of his YouTube videos, he's also just kind of an interesting personality. He seems like a guy who just doesn't really, he never gets too high or too low. He seems like a, like if you, if you wanted to run like a fake kick like that, he'd be a guy that you want the ball in his hands, kind of running it from the start. So, uh, you know. Maybe that has a lot to do with it as well, but it's just nice to see because I feel like last year and really every single year it felt like under Lincoln Riley outside of maybe the 2020 COVID year, uh, um, Beamers last year here, it just seemed like special teams were always just a complete afterthought. Like he just didn't, just didn't care. Well, yeah, I mean, they never returned punts, it seemed like. Never really took kickoff returns seriously. And not that, you know, I mean, they've had a couple of nice kickoff returns this season, but I mean, they haven't broken anything that, you know, big. Heck, there's there's a couple times. I, I mean, I can't remember specific examples, but like Trey, like Trey Brown, I, I remember had a great kickoff return, what, against Baylor in the, uh, I think the Big 12 title game one year. I think that was a kickoff return, maybe a punt return. I, I, so I, I remember there was at least one or two instances where special teams did show up, but it might have just been on accident. <laughs> I'm more excited about their... I'm more excited about like their their clear effort, and I it, it was a lot easier to see this like in person when I was there. Them trying to bait teams into into returning kicks into really bad situations for the other team. That's which is something like. Do you remember like one of the big things? Uh, you know, this is a long time. The, the Rose Bowl, 
Like one, I, I feel like one of the big plays that Georgia made in that game was they forced OU to return a, a, a really good kick for them. They kind of coffin cornered the kick, and OU mm-hmm. couldn't even get to the 10-yard line. And I remember in my head thinking like, man, if you can practice that enough and you can put teams in weird, awkward situations like that, you can really steal some field position. And they're trying that pretty much every single kickoff, Lee. Or not every single one, but they, yeah. were, they were doing it a lot in Ames. And if memory serves, I, I, that was that year, that was probably the most informed I've ever been on college football. And you, know, you go back and listen to this podcast. I'm sure you, know, you and I, uh, our, our thoughts and about not just OU, obviously, but the rest of college football, I probably had way more thoughts that season compared to all the other seasons, if, if any of you guys you know, listen that much. Because I remember I watched so many games. I watched so much tape that year, especially leading up to that Rose Bowl. And that was part of their their game you know all year long i mean that they did that like that Shane Beamer was on that staff that. was on the georgia staff mm-hmm. man I, I watched so much georgia that year i, I remember I, I could call out plays they were going to run in that ou game i just because i had seen it so many times and that offense i know we had debates all the time that offense you're like oh the offense is awesome that offense yes it was explosive it was good they had good players but it was very simple and it was not exactly. that difficult to Think- like figure out what they were going to do What's 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 the video that you tweeted out of Venables earlier? Lee? Hey Jeff, call that play again. That's what Georgia's <laughs> offense was because they had Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, yeah. Nicole Hardman. Uh, that was boy, it. I mean, turns out the the quarterback was kind of the the weak link of that team, and Fromm was okay. I mean, he was a freshman, so uh, I, I mean, guess they also had freshman. a uh, they they did have a uh, have a future first round pick at left or right tackle. I can't remember which one. Oh, yeah, I remember their offensive line was very, very good. We had some Georgia fans that were, you know, reaching out to us and telling us how good Georgia was. Obviously, Georgia was very good. And not to mention Roquan Smith, obviously, on that defense. I want to say I saw one of the defensive ends on that team. I believe Lorenzo Carter was on that team. He was, like, super long. And I want to say he made a nice play the other night. Like, in a, in like a, had, like, an interception in, like, the NFL. And I was like, oh, I remember him from Georgia. Yeah, Dude's there's like, not. Yeah, the Roquan is, is insane. Roquan is really the only guy from that defense who has done anything. But Lorenzo Carter is definitely a thing too. I think he's yeah, he's he's out there. Anyways, so <laughs> OU Baylor. <laughs> uh, I like the offense, man. Uh, I you know I guess it's easy for me to forget that Jeff Grimes is a really smart offensive play caller. Here's the thing though, man. <laughs> if if you're a defensive back playing on Saturday for OU. If you just like every single snap, it's a pass play. If you just guess that the guy across from you is going to run a post, you're going to be right probably 70% of the time. They run double posts over and over and over again. Or they'll run inside guy runs a, a comeback and the, the guy on top of them will run a post, a clear out play. And it's very simple, but it's very effective. And Shaping gets the ball out of his hands. The ball explodes out of his hands. He gets the ball there on time. There's a lot of moving the pocket, a lot of him rolling out. A lot of that outside zone scheme. And they got a really good running back, that freshman, Reese. He's good. And I like their offense a lot. And you know, Oklahoma faced the worst offense in the Big 12 last week. Boy, this is a whole other test. At the same time, though, Grant, when they run the football, a lot of the times it seems like Baylor kind of telegraphs where they're going to run the ball. I mean, they'll motion players and shift players to a certain side to try to overload you. And they're saying, hey, yeah, we're going to run the ball this way because we're going to move all our blockers this way. Come and get it. You know, see if you can stop us. And a lot of the times it works, but, you know, obviously if, if other teams over pursue and can read it, then they can get stopped for loss in the backfield on that, that deep, you know, stretch handoff. So I, 
this might be back to the situation, Grant, where the Oklahoma defense is uh, on, its heels a on its heels a little bit because this Baylor offense is going to be able to score some points. Yeah, it's pretty easy for me to envision OU really struggling with the outside zone in this game, um, especially forcing Stutzman Aguebu to move horizontally and to pick which gaps they need to attack. Uh, that that concerns me quite a bit uh, going into this game. Um, I, I don't like it's it's one of those, and I, and I said going to the Iowa State game that pretty much every game the rest of the season it's going to be a knockout dragout fight. I I'm, this is going to be the same deal. Uh, I don't know at all what's going to happen in this game. It wouldn't surprise me if OU's defense comes out and plays well and kind of can kind of maybe shut down the run a little bit. But it also wouldn't surprise me if, if Baylor comes out and they're getting a ton of chunk yardage on the ground as well, especially Richard Reese with kind of that cutback lane on the outside zone, uh, kind of getting behind the linebackers like that. It's just like I, I see that over and over again in my brain right now. And so I, it, this is going to be a game where Baylor is really going to is really going to test Aguebu and Stutzman. And honestly, I, that's... That's a that that's a, a spot I'm just not super comfortable with right now. Those two guys being the focal point of the defense, being the guys who you absolutely need to be tight going into this thing. Because if you remember, man, they they tested the linebackers last year too, and Brian Asamoa maybe had his best game as a Sooner in that game, and Baylor still ran for 300 yards. Yeah, Asamoa was great against Baylor. I suppose you hope that Deshaun White continues his really nice play. Yeah, Deshaun White can, can be so important through. in this game. So important mm -hmm. in this game. And actually, now that I say that, it's it's so funny now because I, you know, looking back, like we talk about like Alex Grinch defenses and USC's defense. It's I mean, we're eight games. Their defense is horrible. It's it's worse than probably any defense uh, OU has had. I mean, it, it's probably as bad as as the 2018 OU defense. Um, they're Lee. They're they're like 126th or something in the country in success rate allowed on defense. So yeah, that's obviously an analytical stat. But I'm sorry. I mean, the traditional. I, sorry, I, th so my, my, my point there was to say it's now funny thinking back of there's no way an Alex Grinch defense can stop what Jeff Grimes wants to do on offense. It's just it's a right. total mismatch. You just can't do it. The, the, the Baylor offense is perfect to combat what Alex Grinch wants to do. So, like, which is, which is, which is funny because, like, whenever, when I watched that game last year, OU made quite a bit of, like, they, they stuffed Baylor quite a bit on the ground in that game. It just didn't matter. Whenever they had a rarely successful play, it went for 40 yards. Yeah, I mean, the traditional stats, statistically, USC's defense is actually, you know, ranked higher than OU's, but... And a more, you know, I guess it's not really an analytical stat, but it's a stat that I like a lot more yards per play. Uh, USC is giving up more yards per play than OU. And, you know, how bad OU's defense has been this year, uh, USC, USC on a per play basis has been worse, which is the point you just made a moment ago with the, uh, you know, the success rate stat. You know, USC's given up more than six yards per play right now, Grant. <laughs> so it's just, but that it's, they're, they're playing very similar to uh, Lincoln Riley's teams at Oklahoma. And, it's not that surprising. It's, you know, I'm not surprised the offense is really good. I figured it would be. And I guess the defense, you know, now we're eight games into the year. The defense has kind of turned out to what we thought it would be. They're not getting all the turnovers like they were at the start of the year. So it's Sorry, very I, interesting. I, I, we'll had a, yeah. I, I, had a, I had a point I was trying to make there. Essentially was we're not I, – I don't I, – I'm not sure how to judge this OU – this collection of OU players against like this collection of Baylor players right now. 
because the scheme that they came out with last season was the worst possible one you could absolute you could ever run against the outside zone concepts. Oh, okay. So like that was okay. and so like I'm trying to say does it will it matter that there's like will it help that there's not going to be a ton of stunting and 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 at the snap going into the wrong gaps because you're trying to guess where they're going. Um is is that going to help them? I, I don't know. Like we'll, we'll see. Will Baylor be like, hey, it doesn't matter. Like we we have so much tape of these guys, these OU guys on defense. We know how to attack them. It doesn't matter what scheme they have out there. Um, which which to me, I mean, that was definitely the case against Kansas State. I felt like. Um, so I don't know. It's I. I gotta tell you, man, this game to me is is all about OU's offense. Actually, um, they got to score a ton of points in this game. If I'm OU, I want to turn this thing into a into a crazy shootout. That's what I want this game to be. Because I don't. Because then, because then, Shapen is going to be in more positions where he can make more mistakes. Um, it's 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 the game that Baylor does not want to play. Essentially, before we do a transition to that side of the ball, real quick, Gavin Holmes, the receiver for Baylor, that guy kind of jumps off the tape. At least he did against West Virginia again. That was one game. He's so, explosive. You know, that had to have been the that had to been the, maybe the best game of his season. But he was really good in that game. I know he led the team in receiving last week too. He's uh, yeah, he's an explosive player. So he's a guy that uh, you don't want to see him get behind Oklahoma's defense, a la TCU or a la, to some extent, the Texas game. But uh, yeah, so offensively interesting. So like Baylor's defense, Dave Aranda, be you know defensive guy. Ron Roberts, a defensive coordinator. It's their defense has been pretty darn good. You know, one of the best defenses in the Big Twelve, and statistically, they're great against the run, and it's still a pretty good defense statistically. Uh, you know, but they gave up a lot of points to West Virginia. Uh, they were able to bow its neck. Forced a lot of turnovers against a really good Texas Tech offense last week. Uh, kind of fell asleep at the wheel against Kansas a couple weeks ago. It got out to a big old lead. Kansas kind of got back in the game, but you know, took care of business without really much trouble against KU. It's a defense, though, from what I've seen in, the, in these you know game and a half I've watched. I was telling you this before the show. Man, I, it sounds too simplistic, I know, and it probably is. But this defense looks like it wants to give up a lot of free yards. And I go back to the whole Jeff Levy takes – free yards thing there's a lot of you know instances where Baylor corners and safeties are playing 10 11 12 yards off the football seven nine yards off the football and a, a legitimately like a quick timing route of a five yard turnaround ball is out balls there you catch it yeah the guy breaks up on it but at least you have five yards you break a tackle who knows what happens after that do that as much as you want until they come up and take it away from you and then see what happens. It, it kind of reminds me just the way they line up sometimes, and I told you this before the show, the ridiculous Baylor-Oklahoma game in 2014 where Baylor just took five yards every time because Oklahoma was playing so far off the line of scrimmage and giving all that cushion, and it made people in the stands want to pull their hair out. What Was it Julian Wilson that got all mad on the sideline? Like, like it's, it kind of reminds me of that, but it's like teams are not – doing it as much as they should and so that's where I take a step back and think all right it's clearly not as easy as I'm making it out to be but I sh- I sure wanted to see Dylan Gabriel try this out and Jeff Levy to see this on tape because Gabriel's a guy that can get the snap get the ball out real quick we've seen it all year long and so I want to see Oklahoma attack the edges of this defense where they're playing all of this all of the space and see if the receivers can make these catches and break some tackles yeah and hey I'm I think if you're if you're gonna get I, I think I think where Baylor is is vulnerable is their secondary. I think you might be able to throw for 400 yards on these guys. Because um, here's the deal, I, I don't 
I don't really think they've played I, the by far the best offense they've played this year is Oklahoma State, and they lost. And uh, by far the the second best offense they've played this year is West Virginia, and they lost. And I, I you know, they played BYU without their two their two best receivers. Um, I don't know, man. Texas Tech started a true freshman quarterback against them. I don't know if I really don't know if Baylor has kind of been tested through the air this year. I don't know if they've played anybody who can really test them through the air, like OU potentially may be able to. And so I start to think to myself, gosh, and I thought this all year, man, if Gabriel and Mims can just connect on one of those deep balls. And they have, they've connected on one this year. They did it against Kansas State. But if they can do it early in the game, if they can do it when it's still even or when OU's got a, a slight lead, man, that can open up so much stuff. I kind of feel like once they finally start connecting on it, the floodgates are going to open in regards to that because it's been there it's been open it's been there to be had and uh i don't know man i i really do think baylor is is poised to kind of have a stinker defensively i because i i just i don't know if they've if they've gone up against a quarterback and receivers that can consistently challenge them and uh i i i think that's where oh you should be looking in this game for the advantage um i said i said before going on man if, if levy can get away throwing it 50 times in this game do it Take take, um, transport the game to the outside, outside the hashes, so you can stay as far away from Siaka Ika as you possibly can. Period. Sure, and, and a big part of Jeff Lebby's offense is using the passing game as an extension of the running game, and so you can swing little quick swing passes out to Eric Gray, out to Drake Stoops, uh, Julio Farouk. I mean, you can kind of get them the ball, not necessarily a run play, but a kind of a run play, uh, just more outside the you know outside the numbers. And because like, yeah, running the ball against Baylor is not easy. West Virginia actually did a pretty good job. I mean, West Virginia's offense had a really nice night. They did. And JT Daniels threw the ball around a little bit. Uh, he was making some really nice passes, really nice throws. But also there was some some yards there that Baylor was giving up that they were just kind of giving to him. And Dylan Gabriel's a really smart player. We saw how smart he was. We've seen it all year long, but I mean, the Iowa State game was a great example because he just was really smart in that game. Didn't take any chances, took what the defense gave him, and could have had a bigger game if his receivers would have helped him out a little bit more here and there. And so maybe this is a situation, again, this is kind of best case scenario in a way, offensively. You know, we think back to early in the year, the Kansas State game. Kansas State's defense was playing really well, and K-State's defense has proven to be a pretty, pretty good unit. And Dylan Gabriel in Oklahoma, when they weren't committing penalties, was moving the ball really well against Kansas State in that game through the air on the ground and it was like wow that's a pretty good defense and Oklahoma moved the ball really well what if that's kind of the blueprint of like man this Baylor defense you know it's it's a good defense but what if it is susceptible through the air what if it is a kind of a same kind of game where you see Dylan Gabriel hitting on some of those explosive plays getting the ball out guys breaking tackles because this secondary at least from what I've seen it's not as it's not as you know good at tackling as they have in the pa- been in the past. Certainly not the same level as an Iowa State that Oklahoma just played, who's able to seemingly never miss a tackle. Is that kind of uh, what have you seen from yes. Baylor? Yeah, that's yeah, that that's the same deal. They're they're clearly just not as tight in the back end. I I think that's very clear when you watch them. Um, but it's it's not surprising. Jalen Petrie was the best defensive player in the league, and he's gone now. So good, just already starting in the NFL for the Texans. Yeah, he's a guy like and, and yeah, an Petrie's a guy. Guys, a college player remind me a lot of Antoine Winfield Jr., who who also is arguably maybe the best safety in the NFL as well. But hey, just to be fair and to not uh, you know sunshine pump too much on the other side of the coin, you know I mentioned the Kansas State game as a hey you know that could happen against a pretty good Baylor defense. 
just as easily, Grant, we could see a situation like the TCU game where you got Dylan Gabriel just totally missing stuff against a defense that's really not that good. And TCU's defense, despite them being undefeated, is really not that good, especially against the pass. And so that's kind of the other side of the coin of like, yes, we have seen Dylan Gabriel. It just happened once, but we saw him kind of fall apart before he got injured against TCU, uh, just being really inaccurate, uh, more so than normal. And, you know, that's, you know, anything like that against this Baylor defense, they will make you pay. Just ask Baron Morton, the Texas Tech quarterback, who uh, didn't use, like, I, I don't know how many picks he threw in the game, but did he, did he I guess I look at the box. I don't, score, but, I actually don't uh, he, know if he, if he threw all five. I just, he was 11 of 34 and that's just, that's so atrociously terrible. He threw, he threw three of them, and uh, Tyler Shuck had one, and Donovan Smith came in and had one. So just it was, a, it was a party on defense for Baylor as all the Texas Tech quarterbacks decided to throw picks. I hope it, I was one of those games where it's just like, it's Baylor, it's like that's all. That's all that they're going to get. That's all the picks that they're going to get. You know what I mean? It's like they got them yeah, all in one yeah. game. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, anything else on that side of the ball? I mean, I... You mentioned they're really good interior defensive lineman. He's he's good. Uh, outside of that, I know they have a pretty good. I mean, they, they always have nice players. I mean, their defensive line I think is still pretty good. They got some guys that can get after the quarterback that are long, strong. Uh, number nine kind of is scary. I'm blanking on his name right now. Maybe Henderson. Also seems like he gets banged up a lot. At least I saw against West Virginia, he got hurt, and then against Texas Tech, he got hurt again too. But uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully the offensive line can can figure those guys out because I think you're right. I think the secondary is not as good as it has been for Baylor. And it would be really nice to see if Oklahoma's offense can stay hot. I mean, hot against Kansas did what it needed to do against a really good Iowa state defense and breaking out again against uh, a good Baylor defense would be pretty fun to watch on Saturday. Yeah. And Lebby kind of, I, I thought Lebby was in a pretty good groove calling plays on Saturday. And that, that gives me a lot more confidence going against Baylor to be honest with you, I, I thought he had I thought he had a lot of really clever play calls in that game, and and really, receive like you said, receivers kind of helped Dylan Gabriel out a little bit. Oh, you probably runs away and hides in that game. Just yeah, I mean, I mean the biggest one for me is the the drop in the end zone by Marvin Mims. That's a touchdown. I mean, uh, he's got to catch that ball. I mean, that's seven points right there. But uh, yeah, I mean, who knows what happened? You know, if OU has, gets a bigger lead in that game, I don't know. But then again, you, you know, you brought it up. I mean, when Eric Gray was injured, that was out for a while. That totally slowed everything down. All right, let's move on. Before we do the Big Twelve talk and the national picks. Uh, by the way, our picks were not great. Yours are better than mine. Uh, mine were terrible, but uh, not a great day for picks. The first college football playoff rankings came out this week. Obviously, Oklahoma's not involved this year. Does anybody care about that? Do you care? I don't. Uh, I, actually, I don't really. Okay. Um. Here's here's okay, my day. And I know. I, I know there's some <laughs> people. I know Joel Klatt is kind of going off. Um, with TCU being number seven and everything. Um. Here's the deal. The reason I'm not super bent out of shape about that is because I think TCU probably is around the seventh best team in the country right now, based on their resume and what they've accomplished. Yeah. I, I think everyone. I think everyone ranked ahead of them would beat them fairly comfortable on a neutral field. To be honest with you, except for Clemson. I think them versus Clemson would probably be a really good game. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, but I know this is not an exact science, and some people that that are you know, college football purists probably hate this line of argument, but I think it is valid. I mean, if Alabama and TCU played right now, what would the point spread be? <laughs> Over, It'd be double it, digits. Yeah, it, it'd be two touchdowns. Actually, now that I think about it, though, the if, if I do have to point out one thing, 
it's I, I guess it would be Clemson being there. T- TCU has been more impressive than Clemson this year. Okay. Well, I know people were mad about Michigan not being in the top four and they've had a good season. Sure, it's just here's what I would I would love either for them to have the college football playoff rankings all season long, like the AP polls all season long, just do it, or just have one at the very end. It's so dumb to all of a sudden, all right, let's unveil it. And I know why they do it, because it's a television show. It gets people talking about it. That's part of the business, I understand. And and so I've always kind of got that, so like I don't get worked up about it. I know we've had debates and talks on this show over all the years, because Oklahoma's always involved. And I always say the same thing. It's like, guys, it doesn't matter until the very last one. It, and I know the, the rebuttal to that is like, well, it does matter, because a certain team can be ranked you know, in the top 25, and another team gets a win over them. That's going to bolster their resume. But if they weren't in the, and you know what? That's a good argument. I agree. That actually is a pretty good argument. I know Joe Klatt uses that a lot. Like the, the playoff committee will kind of rank a certain team a certain spot because they know a, a, like a game is going to be coming up on the schedule later on. And I think that's kind of bull crap. <laughs> like I, I do agree that's kind of weak because uh, it's pretty clear they kind of do stuff like that. I am kind of shocked though, Grant, that it's a layup, right? Why didn't they just have Georgia and Tennessee one and two? I mean, why not? I, I just, I don't. I don't know. I don't really. Playing this week. I just. I don't care. Like it's. We know the playoffs going to expand, which which is going to make which is going to make people care less about these weekly ranking shows, and also Lee in in a year or two, OU's going to the SEC, and that totally remove just win the SEC and you're in the playoff. Who cares? Yeah. Just true. or 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 get through the SEC with one loss and you're in the playoff. Who cares? That's all. That's all OU needs to focus on. So like I just I don't. I and I get it. Like I. I came on this podcast, especially in 2019, and was was really upset about this stuff. You know, especially with Utah and all of that. And um, man, I, I don't know my my outrage over this issue has has waned a lot over the last two <laughs> years. I just don't care. I don't care. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it it doesn't matter until the very end. And then if you get to the very end, and the rankings are in a way in which you can look back at a previous week. You know, maybe a week before or two weeks before, and you can point out like, "Hey, it was pretty ridiculous that this team was ranked here because then it bolstered this other team's resume that shouldn't have happened." Or and then you want to look back. You know, what? I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. Like, because the way I look at it, it's like normally when you get to the end of it, the final rankings. The I, I hate that it's only four teams. That's a big reason why I think it's it's ah, four teams is just nothing. But normally when you get to the very last one. You see it, and you're like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. It's fine. <laughs> so yeah, they've so gotten like all the debate. They, yeah, they actually have at the end of whatever they've gotten every single one technically right. The one that they got the least right, I felt, was the very first one ever in 2014, and the team that shouldn't have gotten in ended up winning the entire thing. So right, ridiculous. Yeah, that was so. Yeah, I mean, but also when you look back on it, it's just like it's that very first one shows you how tough this is too because. The worst team in that entire group was obviously Florida State, but they were undefeated, so you had to put them in. And it, it shows you how, how how tough it is. That was a really good example of uneven scheduling in college football. And uh, I, I don't know what to do with that. Actually, I, do, I know exactly what to do with that. Extend the playoff, make it bigger, and so everyone can have fun. Yeah, fun. Uh, let's talk about the Big 12 real quick. Texas Tech is at TCU. TCU's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. When we make these, when we do these, these podcasts, I, I'm just, I love sports betting so much, and so I, 
the discussion around these games to me all is around the point spread. And I, some of you might think that that's not interesting. And if so, I apologize. I know some of you do think it's interesting. I did get a, a message and I apologize. I can't recall who it's from. I got to look it up. Uh, somebody was you know, saying, hey, you guys talk about betting a lot. Sounds fun. Uh, you know, talk more about it or learn more. And I, I got to get back to that listener. I, I, you know who you are. And now that I bring it up, I, I forgot about it. So now I got to go back and answer it. So anyways, nine and a half TCU at home. Like they, they keep winning, but you know, tech just got their butts beat at home to, I like Joey McGuire. I like tech, you know, Texas Tech's had a pretty good season. It's kind of hard not to think like, man, I, I, I'd love to take the nine and a half points. I wish it was 10. And that's kind of the point though, right? Like the, the odds makers are wanting me to be like, ah, oh, man, I wish it was 10 and not nine and a half at nine and a half. I'm like, eh, is TCU the play here? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I'm not going to bet this game. I'm just saying, like, that's why I look at this. Texas Tech just got beat big at home. Now they're going to go on the road and going to try to ruin TCU season. I, if I had to, you know, if I had to make a play, I'd probably grab the points here, Grant. Do you have any thoughts on this game? Yeah, I think if a gun to your head, you probably have to go with TCU here just because you're getting that half point there. Um, I don't know. This this one's tough. TCU's tough. TCU's a tough team because they they are they're shady. They're obviously they're having a fun magical year, but they're shady as hell. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think I did, again, I'll repeat, I did shortchange their offense, I think, a couple of shows ago. Their offense is really good. Statistically, it's the best in the Big 12. And, uh, you know, it may be the best in the Big 12, even with Dylan Gabriel. And I know I said OU is. I'm biased, you know, and so maybe that's my bias getting in the way. I think, objectively, I think TCU's offense is probably – I think you said maybe OU's better at what? OU's got a better running game? I think OU's, I think OU's offensive line is better than TCU's. Sure. But I mean, give credit to Max Duggan. He's having a great year, and, and it just give it doesn't. To Lincoln Riley's brother. I, I I think I think it puts in in context just kind of how magical this season has been for TCU. Man, Max Duggan didn't even win that job out of camp. It was Chandler Morris. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Oklahoma State, after that crazy loss to Kansas State, is back in the state of Kansas this week as a two point road favorite against the Jayhawks. There is a rumor going around that Spencer Sanders is out for the season, Lee. Well, that rumor's happening, huh? I know that uh, you know there's a there's a question about it. Uh, this could be a situation where, I, you know what? I don't know how good Gunnar Gundy is. He's probably better than Davis Bevel. Sorry, Davis. I'm just gonna keep throwing you under the bus, man. But you know, if you ever play again, just play better, and then you can shove it in my face. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. Like, is, is Jalen Daniels going to be back for Kansas? I know there might there's some rumors like, oh, maybe he's going to be good to go. I, Were there? I, I don't, I don't know. know. I because remember there was that tweet, you know, right after he got hurt and he was out for the season, and I bet that's right. I bet he is. So if that's the case, and I I would probably lean towards that as well. I'd probably lean towards he's, he's probably not going to play. But we know Bean's a pretty nice player. That's kind of an interesting line, especially if. I mean, okay, let's say that let's say Spencer Sanders is out of this game. Kansas plus two seems like the lock of the year, right? Lock of the <laughs> year, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I feel so because one, Oklahoma State's defense has, I think we can all agree, taken a step back this year. It's not like they're not bad, but they can also, I mean, they can certainly be had against a functional offense. And I think we all agree that Kansas's offense can be very functional at times. OU is, you know, saw that, you know, right up front. I don't know, man. There's still a part of me that's just like, uh, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I would do it because there's still part of me that thinks that it's still just same old Kansas. Their defense is still same old Kansas. That defense is terrible. 
And the offense has fallen off. The offense is not as, I mean, I know their starting quarterback's been out, but heck, even before Jalen Daniels was injured, they were struggling in that game against TCU. And when Bean came in, they started moving the ball better and they scored a lot of points. And so it made a comment a few weeks back that after the OU game, you know, after they lost to OU, that there's a world in which KU doesn't win a game the rest of the year. They, they, they lose the rest of the games. And I kind of think that that might be the case, especially, man, like just the thought of even if let's say even if Sanders is out, Oklahoma State just got embarrassed the last game. I kind of like the idea of backing that kind of team, even if their quarterback's out. That's like, my I mean, thought, too. Like, so my my handicap essentially was like, oh, yeah, man, if, if Gunnar Gundy has to start, you're getting Kansas at plus two, man. Oh, you got to hammer that. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. It's like I, I kind of feel like I've run into that trap far too many times in betting. And I, I, I would obviously stay away from this one. This one's really hard because, one, we don't know what, what Spencer Sanders is. But also, I feel like if if Sanders was healthy, this would be a bigger number for Oklahoma State. Yeah, it probably would. The thing is, though, he's he's been, I think he's been playing injured because there was those rumors a few weeks ago. I think before was it was at the Kansas game when OU played Kansas. I people on the sidelines were talking about how yeah, it was before it was how, before they played Texas. He was like he was a game time decision basically. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because remember, they and had like played, six starters out well. against Texas. He was the only guy, like the only guy who was 50-50 who ended up playing. And that was kind of like the, that's, that's why I figured maybe they were, they, they were set up for a, for a massive fall from grace last week because all of the good mojo went their way against Texas. Hey, and also Oklahoma State's punter out for the year. So by rule, they have to go for it on fourth down every time now. Crazy. I can't believe they put that rule in this year. That would be so, so awesome. Uh, yeah, I, so anyways, interesting matchup there. Uh, West Virginia is at Iowa State. Iowa State's a seven-point favorite. That's seems like a lot of points for a team that's, that's good, but that's basically saying like, hey, man, we don't think West Virginia is going to be able to move the ball at all yeah, I on think, Iowa State. I think I take – I think this is – I'd pound Iowa State on this one. That number kind of says take Iowa State, right? Because it's yep. like, man, why is it so big? I do that, think this might be – this may be the uh, – the goodbye Neil Brown game. Hmm. Well, I mean, they had a valiant effort against TCU. And, you know, I... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. Like, they... Could be they a letdown. everything could be a letdown into the that, TCU yeah. game. I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure they, they led a, a, a large majority of that game. Ended up kind of losing the lead in the second half at home. Now you got to go on the road and play the best defense in the league. I don't know. That kind of sounds... That, that sounds like danger zone for, for West Virginia, especially for an Iowa State team. I mean, obviously, they're really, Iowa State's really, really disappointed with how their season has gone. But I don't know. I don't think anyone thinks that they're just going to lay down and just quit and stop playing. No, I don't think so. Yeah, that actually might be a pretty good Iowa State play there at minus seven. I'd even we'll like put I'd, that in our back pocket. Yeah, yeah uh, this was I, and I did I did this a lot last week when I was in Iowa. I, I went after alternate lines a lot. That's one I would even try to find maybe an alternate line for Iowa State. Maybe go double digits. Ooh, a little Iowa State minus. I do thirteen I and mean, a half probably. Yeah. So how do those alternate lines work? Like there's just what, a ton uh, of them. You just pick them. And what increments? Okay. Uh, half point. Half point increments. So you can go up as high as you want in a way. Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. The highest. Trying to think, the highest that I could have picked for OU against Iowa State was like, yeah, it went up to twenty-seven and a half. 
Oh gosh. <laughs> That's pretty Maybe good. Maybe even higher than that. I was actually, that was the funny thing for OU. I was, so I ended up doing the minus six and a half alternate line. I put it on OU and hey, I, that's that's how you know things are going good. Like when I put money on OU, they very rarely win, and they actually did this time. So I've gotten that whole jinx crap out of my brain. H- however, I bet had no impact on that game whatsoever. Um, but I, I was really thinking about instead of six and a half, I was thinking about doing thirteen and a half. And obviously, in retrospect, I should have done that. But the one I was really kicking myself on was uh, I, I wanted the, the Minnesota minus twenty seven and a half alternate against Rutgers, and I sat there and just and just. I just ang- in anguish about it for like 10 minutes in the stadium trying to decide if I was going to do it. And so I was like, nah, I'm not going to. <laughs> and I, I should have. I would have a, a $10 bet would have netted me like 80 bucks. So here's the thing. You always remember those bets that you didn't place that you wish you would have placed. I feel like you, you never remember the ones that that, you know, you, you didn't place and it was a good thing you didn't place it. So it's like it probably all evens out in the end. Uh, but yeah, the ones where you could have won obviously stand out the most because you feel like you missed out. And hey, I picked uh, on the on the show last week. I picked Ohio State to cover that fifteen or fifteen and a half, whatever it was. What what we had it at? I got it at on Saturday morning. I got it at fifteen. So I I, I was on Ohio State minus fifteen, and I also did the over in that game too. And so I was riding I was riding the roller coaster in that one. And so like I was I was definitely a beneficiary of the chaos in the fourth quarter of that game. And then, of course, Penn State had a garbage touchdown cover at the end. Of course. Yeah, it, that sucks. But also, I mean, Ohio State probably didn't have any business covering that when it came down to it. I mean, they weren't covering at all the entire game, and then they kind of got some late scores to... But there was still, yeah. like, when they, when, they were in, when they were in the cover zone and when the over hit, there was still, like, nine minutes to go in the game. Oh, okay. Well, let's still... As you saw, plenty of time for uh, for Penn State to come back and and go through the back door. Yeah, that's always that's always annoying. Um, let's see. Texas and sorry, K-State. I was kind of yeah, I know. I was sorry. I was going through to see if I could find the uh, the message about whoever it was that was asking us to talk more about sports betting. But I'll, I'll have to go back go, go through and look at that when we're not uh, recording the podcast. But yeah, K State. Uh, and Texas we'll talk about that in our picks coming up here so let's get to our picks Grant last week you were two and three brings your season total your season record to 20 19 and one and uh I was one and four last week we'll just move on past that uh, not good at all terrible terrible That's what you got to do uh, you got to you got to bury it and move on yep I am 18 21 and one I'm just just wasn't seeing it last week, guys. Plenty of time. Just wasn't seeing the, you know, Plenty of time. Haven't seen the board well. Haven't really seen the board well since maybe week five or week four, probably. Just it's been tough. It's been tough. I feel like you talked me out of the uh, Kentucky-Tennessee game. I was all over Tennessee, and you talked me out of it. That's my own fault. But, uh, hey, you know, we're going to have Tennessee to talk about here in a moment. But first, a Friday night kickoff. We're starting the Pac-12. Oregon State. Number 23 in the college football playoff rankings is going to Washington. And, oh, boy, I mean, Washington was kind of a, uh, a team that was looking really good early on in this, this season. And, I mean, they're still a good football team, but they're not ranked. They've lost some games I thought they were going to win. But Washington at home, a four-and-a-half-point favorite Friday night against Oregon State, against a ranked Oregon State team. Uh, I mean, both these teams are pretty good. By the way, Grant, Oregon State, the best team this year that USC has beaten. So, 
I mean, they're ranked now, but they weren't ranked. They weren't ranked at the time. Uh, not that you know that doesn't matter. I mean, the best team Oklahoma's beaten is Kansas, and I mean Kansas is not going to be great. I think by the end of the year, so it's not like Oklahoma has much to write home about either. But uh, I'm not really sure what my point wasn't that. Just kind of wanted to point out that uh, USC. Yeah, I don't have a point. Sorry about that. I'm wasting time. Uh, Washington minus four and a half. I kind of like. Uh, I, this is a interesting number to me. It's in the Vegas zone, as Bill Simmons would call it. You know, four and a half in between three and seven. It's almost like Vegas is like the odds makers are like, ah, we're not really sure about this one either. So we're just going to put out four and a half and just kind of see what happens. I think I, if I had to play this one, I'd probably, I like Oregon. Man, I like both these teams. I do. That's uh, a tough one. I'll, I'll go with Washington, but I don't think I'd play it. Yeah, this, I, I wouldn't play this game at all. I think betting principles probably should have you take Washington in this one. But really, I mean, these two teams are like even. These teams are like exactly the same. So, uh, you know, it's tough. Like, I think you could say Vegas probably thinks Washington's maybe a, about a point better than Oregon State on a neutral field based on the number. I Just just to make it interesting, I'll go with Oregon State. Because I don't know. I, I do think this is a total coin flip. Yeah, it's a battle of two teams. I like both these teams. I like these coaches. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Oregon State was terrible like five years ago. And now, I mean, they're a legitimate team now. So he's turned this program around. And then uh, my guy, Kalen DeBoer, finally remembered his name at Washington, kind of the dark horse, good hire in the offseason, I heard. And Washington's been a good team. I mean, the Jimmy Lake era of one year was a disaster. <laughs> a, you know, good defensive coordinator, apparently, but that didn't work out. So I like both these coaches. This is a tough one. You're going to go with uh, the other side just to make things interesting. Got it. All right, let me go ahead and just type that in here. Oregon State. Okay, and next game. Uh, game of the week. Maybe game of the year so far considering we're so late in the year and both these teams are unbeaten Tennessee at Georgia and I, I mean Tennessee's getting eight I know it's at Georgia I I can't not take Tennessee plus the eight they're just they I've seen it too many times right like this just kind of seem like a team of destiny right now I they're really good I'm right there with uh, you right there with you I'm not I'm not messing around with uh with Josh Heupel at the helm of a of a former power in his second year anymore. Not doing it. Tennessee. Ooh, in his second year. That's key, right? Second year. Means something to some people. So we're both on Tennessee plus the eight. I mean, Tennessee's offense obviously is is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, if if Tennessee wins this game on Saturday, they're going to win the national championship. Wow. Like, I mean, that's, that's really not that hot of a take. No, I know. It just sounds weird to think Tennessee, like in August, thinking Tennessee could win it all. It just is crazy. I mean, and also, I think I might have mentioned they would yeah. be if if Tennessee were to win it, Lee, they would be the first team to win a national championship that weren't that wasn't over fifty percent in the blue chip ratio since two thousand Oklahoma. Oh my gosh! Come on. Uh, so I mean, it just shows you how important coaching is. I I want to say, I mean, I guess last year as well. I mean, Hinden Hooker. How many years has he been at Tennessee? Because I want to say, I feel like Two. when I first saw Hooker just a playing. So maybe it was early last year. I, I wasn't that impressed with him. So clearly, uh, he, was very, deve- he was very Heupel's below average in Virginia well. Tech. Oh, he was at Vatek. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of then. Okay, he tra- yeah. I, I just have, I have memories of him early on in his career. Just like, this guy is very scattershot with his accuracy. Like, I don't know where the ball's going when, when, when it leaves his hand. All right, the Big 12 game, Texas at K-State. 
Texas is a two and a half point road favorite. And so, I mean, you got Kansas State who just had a ridiculous blowout win where everything went right against against Oklahoma State. They're back home. That helps them. Uh, I, I can't remember the history between these two teams. If if one of them plays better against the other if te- I, historically really one. since historically since the turn of like this century kansas state has kind of always been a, a thorn in texas's side but i don't think chris Kleiman has had a lot of success against texas how about this texas and k-state have not played very many games all time they've only played 22 times well i mean that makes all, sense all, that makes sense remember i mean texas was in the southwest conference until the 90s and then Kansas State, I guess, was always in the Big 12. Uh, but then, or no, the Big 8, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have started playing regularly until the 90s. And they would they didn't play regularly, remember? They only played two out of every four years. Yeah, that's true. Because North of the north-south south divide. Well, Chris Kleiman has yet to beat Texas since he's been at Kansas State. So that's, uh, that's probably a big reason why this number is where it's at. Texas has won the last five games between the two teams so there you go uh man i i, I guess think this, just based i think this on number history. is where it's at because and like i said it, vegas is just following sp plus now it's this is what sp plus has it at i'll go with texas minus the two and a half i'll go with the road uh, the road favorite but uh you know I, very intriguing game yeah i think I, this I, is uh i think you know f- for my, you know, my personal thing for games not involving OU, I think this is by far the most interesting game in the Big 12 so far this year, up to this point in time, um, or at least the game that I'm most interested in watching. Other Big 12 game, um, obvious, obviously, going to be rooting very hard for Kansas State in this game. Uh, but that that makes me feel like this is a Texas lean for me. Is there any particular team here that makes sense for Oklahoma fans to want to win based off of the very incredible long shot of OU trying to get to the Big 12 title game? Do we even know that yet? Um, any, like, probably, no, I don't, think I, I don't think it matters. Both of these teams have to lose four games in the Big 12, so it doesn't matter. Because K-State's, I mean, in theory, though, K-State's only, they've only lost one time in the Big 12, right? I think in theory, it would probably be better for Texas to, to win this game for OU's chances. But like I, it, OU doesn't. Okay, statistically they technically have a chance. Realistically, they don't. I, I it's trust me, man. I, I'm the type of guy who who really always believes in this. It's not realistic. It's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, we're never going to get you know a, a 2007 college football season ever again. Uh, I mean, this it would require. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would require Texas, Kansas State. Um. And uh, I guess not. You would want TCU to win out, probably. Um, and then it would, it would require Texas and Kansas State both. It would require K-State to lose three more games, Texas to lose twice more. I, I just don't see that happening. Maybe, I guess, maybe like if, what if K-State can get like a really big lead or something in this game and then Will Howard gets hurt and Adrian Martinez is somehow out for the rest of the season and they have to play that third string quarterback and they lose out, maybe, I guess. But that's not going to happen. All right, next game. Let's go to the ACC. That's a non-conference game. Kind of an ACC game, though. It's an ACC game in 2020. Uh, Clemson at Notre Dame. Clemson on the road is favored by three and a half. And Grant, you nailed the Notre Dame-Syracuse game last week. I was on Syracuse, and you said, whatever, man. Notre Dame's going to win, so I need to be close. And uh, that's what happened. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't really close. So now Notre Dame is uh, you know, coming off a nice win on the road, coming home, catching three and a half. I, I, 
I kind of want Notre Dame to start hitting its stride and playing really well because I want to see the Irish knock off USC here in a, in a couple of weeks. So based off of my, uh, my hopes and dreams of that happening, I'll, I'll just go ahead and buy into Notre Dame starting to play better football, and I'm grabbing you know three and the hook at home. I'll take the Irish. I'll take Clemson. I, so my, my initial reaction was to take Notre Dame here too. Um, I'm going to go with Clemson just because Notre Dame has lost to Marshall and Stanford at home this year, and both those teams suck. Well, law of averages would make you believe that there's no chance they're going to lose then to Clemson. I mean, that they've already been embarrassed twice at home. They can't get embarrassed three times at home. Not that losing to Clemson would be embarrassing, but I guess if they got blown out, it would be embarrassing. Yeah, and I just, I you know, Notre Dame, I mean, the, the strength of their team is still their defense, and, I, you know, their offense is just not good, and, and Clemson is still playing good top 10 defense. So I, it's pretty easy yeah. for me to envision Notre Dame just not being able to move the ball. And finally, an ACC matchup. I'll be honest with you guys. I, I have very few thoughts. The only reason I'm including this one is because it's two top 25 teams. But, uh, man, this is a tough one because I feel like NC State has just burned me all year long. Uh, Wake Forest laying four on the road at NC State. I feel like every time I pick the Wolfpack, I, I don't win. So it's like I think, okay, well, then go against them this time and you're going to win. Well, the one time I go against them, I'm probably going to lose. So based off of that, I'll grab NC State plus the points at home. Grant, what do you think? I guess one's super weird. Didn't Wake Forest lose by like 30 last week? I can uh, quick double check here. Let me see here. Let me just type, type in a couple notes here. Uh, Wi-Fi issues real fast. Uh, let's, let me see here. Wake Forest. All right. NC State. Wake Forest. Six and two. Last week's game between Wake Forest and Louis. Yeah. yeah. Yo, Louisville beat Wake Forest by 27 points. That's kind of kind of kind of weird, right? They're getting four points on the road, or they're not getting four points. NC State's getting they're four points. They're laying four. Might might just be telling you that NC State's bad. I think I mean, NC State is bad. I, I mean, I told you that they're NC State. Yeah. But also, I don't really trust teams that lose by twenty-seven points to Louisville. That's a tough one. Go with the home team, NC State. NC State. All right, quick recap. Washington and Oregon State. Washington is laying four and a half. I am on Washington. Grant is on the Beavers. Tennessee catching eight at Georgia. We are both on the Volunteers. Texas minus two and a half at K-State. We are both on Texas. Right? Did you say Texas? I did, yeah. Begrudgingly. Just wanted to double check. Yeah. Clemson at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is getting three and a half at home. I am on Notre Dame. Grant is laying the points with Clemson, and we are both on NC State catching four at home against Wake Forest. Lastly, before we go, this episode is going a lot longer than I thought it would, but I do want to bring something up that, uh, again, to keep with the theme of the show of me not remembering which listeners commented on on our podcast, which I apologize for that. I I appreciate you all commenting, messaging us, and uh, I, I should know this off the top of my head. I don't, so I apologize for that, but... Whoever messaged us a few weeks back, kind of whenever, Grant, you were going through one of your uh, your diatribes about how this you know things aren't going well with Oklahoma, you know, and I, there's not a whole lot of I think you might have said there's not a whole lot of evidence of you know the first year of a coach being really really bad or ending up really really bad and then them recovering from it. This is back obviously when Oklahoma was not looking good, 
And uh, do you remember what you were saying? Like, do you recall you were saying like, because, oh, in history, a coach comes in and has a really bad first year. Maybe they go, you know, they have a losing record. You know, historically, is there any sort of precedent for that rebounding and becoming a really good coach? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about because I thought about it a lot. Of course I have over the last, because especially after it kind of feels like things have stabilized a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not feeling too safe yet in that regard. I think we're going to, uh, I'll I'll let you finish your thought, but yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna know we're gonna f- learn a lot after this Baylor game. I I think, you know I I think we're gonna pretty much know exactly where this team is going after this Baylor game. So the reason I bring that up is because one of our listeners messaged us either on the Facebook page or my at news uh, Lee Benson at News Nine Twitter account. I can't remember which one, and said, "Hey, calm down, Grant. What about Dave Aranda in year one with Baylor compared to now?" No. Pretty good yeah, point. No, it's not actually. I mean, yeah, sure. You can bring that up, but okay. But they're five and three this year. They've lost three games. Probably shouldn't have lost. I mean, they've lost two games. They probably shouldn't have lost. I what's, mean, it's still early in his career. What's, but, what, what's I mean, to they, say that, that that Big 12 championship game last year wasn't more of just a byproduct of him having maybe the two best defensive players in school history on his team and also... The fact that OU was oddly super down and wasn't very good. Sure, maybe because like I don't. But I mean, it wasn't good. And know, Baylor was a good was team a good last back, year. Like, it's a good, it's a good team, but uh, but yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take that. But I, you know, I think we're we kind of have our eyes at at you know at greener pastures than than a Baylor football program would. And so I don't know. I think Dave Aranda is a good coach, but he's had one good season where they went eleven and two. I I mean. There's a decent chance they go like seven and five or eight and four this year, and that's just an I mean, whatever. I mean, if Dave Aranda is just like okay. a seven and five and eight and four coach, then I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's the point you want to make. Okay, I just uh, I thought about that since Oklahoma was playing Baylor this week, and I figured I'd bring it up on the podcast. And I think uh, I think our listener had a pretty decent point, but I think uh, also your point rebutting it's not bad either. So. But I should you know I I, sh- I should calm down. Um, Kind of, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But it does, it it does kind of feel like that. Sure, it's like, yeah, the OU Kansas State game. That one just felt kind of like all of the losses that they've had really in the last decade or so. That one didn't really seem super out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, yeah. and then once Dylan Gabriel went down against TCU, and I know they were down by twenty four at that time. Uh, you can pretty much just just throw the next six quarters in the trash, completely. Um. And that's that. That's just a weird. That's a weird thing to happen to a football team, is all. No doubt. Yeah, and I'm, obviously there's still four more games left, plus a potential bowl game for us to to really have a a good, you know, a good feeling of Oklahoma, and then also, I mean, Baylor. Well, let let me throw this out. Let me throw this out there because there's we're not we're not jinxing anything. We're we're just talking. We don't we don't have any effect on the game coming up on Saturday. Lee, if OU wins on Saturday, and I hope they do. I don't know if they will or not. I don't really know how I'm feeling one way or the other. I, I I probably will feel really good about their ability to win out the rest of the year. And I and I think I, I think a lot of people will probably feel pretty similar to that. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I mean I, I guess Because let's be real, this is the best this is the best team left on their schedule. Baylor is better than Oklahoma State. I know that Oklahoma State beat Baylor, but I, I just I think Baylor presents more more challenges, idea, yeah. more problems. Part of me, I really, really want to say that I actually do kind of feel good about Oklahoma winning out, but I think what I actually 
feel. And what I mean by that is what, something that I've been saying over and over and over again is that I just think that Oklahoma has a chance to win out because I think, you know, if, as long as Dylan Gabriel is playing. Because, again, like, I'm sticking with my guns. I've been saying it all year long. This is a different team with him, with him playing, and it has been. And so I guess, like, as much as I want to say I feel pretty good about them winning out, that's not true. I think, again, what I mean is as long as Dylan Gabriel is there, uh, they, have a, they have a chance. And I almost wanted to say they have a very good chance, but that's almost the same as saying I think they're going to win out or whatever. No, like, they, they can. And I think everybody that's been watching OU now for the last couple of weeks, based on me talking to some people in the, the media and you know, talking to you as well, obviously, and uh, people we know, like, I think that's kind of been understood. It's like, oh, like, Dylan Gabriel is pretty darn important. And, uh, yeah, as long as he's playing, Oklahoma does have a chance to win every single game. Yeah, and it's uh, and it is. I mean, it's important to me. I I really want ten wins. That's that's a really important barometer for me. An important thing to get to. Is that I was really disappointed that 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 West Virginia game got canceled in twenty twenty, so they couldn't get to a ten win season that year. Um. So yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my focus. That's the end goal, man. If they can get to ten and three after a bowl win, that I mean after after that three game stretch, throw a freaking parade, man. That'd be so man. awesome. That would be outstanding. But also, get we're to. not getting getting way too ahead of ourselves. They've won two games yeah. since then. Yeah, let's not. I mean, football season is so darn short to begin with. Just like last week when I was kind of gaming out, you know, eight and four. That's what not, we don't do that here. Hey, like take each game at a time. There's only twelve of them guaranteed. Like it's because yeah, all, I mean this is a yeah. this is a huge deal. I mean, because ba- if Baylor wins out, they're going to play in the Big Twelve championship game. That's clear to them. So, like, this is a massive game for them. Huge. All right. We will be back Sunday with uh, a recap of OU and Baylor. So, until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.